Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off Podcast. In today's episode, I've got Javid with me. Javid, what do you do? In my opinion, my favourite job I've ever had in my entire career, it's a security awareness advocate at Know Before. And don't ask me what that exactly means because I, I, I am not quite figured it out myself yet and I'm too scared to ask right now. <laughs> That's always the best way with, with job titles. It's like, I hope I'm working it out. So advocate then, what, what does that word mean within a title? Well, the, the other option was to be called an evangelist. And I hate that term. I don't know hate is a strong word. I dislike that term. I think there's there's a lot of baggage associated with, with the term evangelist. So I went for advocate in that. I, I, I advocate for people to be more aware about security or just adopting good practices and what have you. So I'm I'm by no means an expert. I'm by no means preaching to anyone. I'm just advocating, hey, we can all work together and do something better. I think that's the the difference for me between evangelist and advocate. And I know reasonable adults will disagree with with what these words mean. But when when somebody says evangelist to me, I, I think of you know speaking to a group or speaking to a crowd and getting your message out there. Whereas with with advocate, I think of it more as like a conversation, like you're trying to understand the requirement of the other person and, and help them achieve that. Is that something that you feel? Yeah, no, absolutely. That That's exactly how I feel. I, I feel that there's way too many careers or, or people, personalities in InfoSec that try to force down a message or try to say, well, this is how it should be done and this is how we're going to do it. But, you know, we, we've tried and tested that method for a couple of decades now and we've made some progress but not nowhere near as much progress as we we could have had we uh taken a slightly more collaborative approach or, or approach where we we bring ourselves down to to people's levels and what one of the things i feel strongly about is if, if you take a problem to an engineer they will reframe it as an engineering problem and give you an engineering solution uh, we've been doing that with every single problem in technology and and behavior that we've refra- reframed everything as a as a cyber security, IT security, whatever phrase you want to use. Uh, we've rephrased it as a as a cyber security problem, and then we've tried to give cyber security solutions rather than actually getting to the heart of the matter and saying, well, what exactly is the problem? Uh, why is certain things you know this way? And you know, if if we taken that approach more, I think we 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 could get a lot further. Yeah, I definitely think my my feelings will no doubt come out quite strongly in this podcast. I, I generally have a very hard line that I don't think security awareness training works. And that isn't what I mean, of course. What, what I'm talking about is like our historical approach to security awareness hasn't hasn't worked. Many of the guidance that I see in company security awareness training doesn't work. And, I, and I'm just taking the extreme position to, to kind of make the point, but I'll give you an example of that. So very often I see people saying things like, you know, don't click links in emails. And it's like, if I don't click links in emails, I can't use half of the internet. You know, you register for an account on a website and it'll send you an email and say, click here to confirm your email address. So how do you handle those kinds of more complex problems? I think you're right. One of the challenges we have, although we we work in a predominantly technical domain, these aren't necessarily technical problems. And it comes down to us reframing everything as a technical problem and trying to give a technical solution. And that's normally quite binary. Uh, Rather than getting to to the issue at hand and... One thing, say, for example, uh, behavioral scientists were working on this problem of drink driving in the 60s and 70s. And one one of the problems is that you can tell people 
that, hey, you shouldn't drink and drive. And they're aware, but they just don't really care. That need isn't there. Or they have no frame of reference to which to put it on. Or how do you actually, well, how can I have a life by drinking and getting around safely and, and what have you? These, these things don't work. So they actually worked very closely with uh, screenwriters in Hollywood for, for movie and TV. And they deeply embedded the concept of designated drivers. So you started to see a lot of sitcoms where people were like, oh, if a group of friends were going out and someone says, OK, you're the designated driver or volunteers themselves as a designated driver. And all of a sudden it became a socially acceptable term. And so now it's it's quite common. You see people, friends going out and if they're driving, then someone will be the designated driver. And it's not shunned upon, you know, you be in the pub or wherever and someone saying, well, I'm not drinking because I'm the designated driver or I'm, I'm just driving tonight. Uh, we've we've grown to accept it. And so we've, we've taken a complex problem, but we've we figured out a way to make it socially acceptable or find a way around it. And I think we just haven't given enough tools to people who, who work in the business beyond don't click on that link, which is like you rightly say, it's just not helpful advice at all. Um, it, it's rather trying to give them a set of tools or a framework by which they can think like, hey, we need to do our be jobs better from a technological perspective to minimise those emails actually reaching their inbox to begin with. But when they do reach their inbox, I think we, we, we fail immensely on that relationship part with those people within the organisation. Like, you know, a lot of times they don't want to reach out to security departments and say, hey, I've received this email. What do you think? Because they're scared that they're either going to be berated like, or, or, or they're not going to hear back anything or it's going to delay them. You know, have it, having the tools and the procedures and more importantly, that relationship in place with people, I think that's far more important than simply a list of do this or, well, it's very little do this. It's mainly don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And, and that just gets people's backs up. Yeah, I think there's a, a big thing there as well about the process. You talk about people not wanting to maybe report it to the security team because they might be berated or something like that. I've also seen in some instances where people just don't actually know what they're supposed to do. I'll give you a funny example of this. So I've previously done um, physical access assessments as well. So the breaking into buildings side of the job. And in some instances, we'll have people challenge us during a physical access assessment and then not know what to do afterwards. So if they, you know, come to the conclusion that, that we shouldn't be there and we should leave, if we do leave, which of course we're going to, they don't report it to security or let reception know or share it with their team like, hey, this person was in this space they shouldn't have been, keep an eye out for them. I think that's like a surprisingly common thing. And I think it applies to risks uh, generally, generally any social engineering risk of just like, if you don't know what the process is, then you're never going to follow it correctly, other than just <laughs> guessing and hoping for the best. Yeah, no, you, you raise such a such an important point. It, it's so, so right. And, and that happens in, in so many things. It's like, well, you know, a project is wants to design something and go live and you say, well, you can't do that because it doesn't have meet so and so requirements. And then we walk out the room and stop. Well, OK, can you help me? Can you tell me where do I find those requirements? What, what do I plug into? And it's just like we almost like pull the pin and walk out and, and, and leave it at that. So you're spot on. It's just we need to give that guidance and that assistance to people to understand what it is. And we, we need to make it as simple and as intuitive as possible. The other thing is like there's no point in putting into a 50 page policy document somewhere because people aren't going to read that. They're not going to engage with that. They're going to, not going to remember it when the time comes. So it, it's about designing it in a way. And uh, a, a lot of it, some of it comes down to choice architecture as well. You know, having the right things in place at the right times. 
fire extinguishers are probably a, a good example. They're, they're clearly labelled, they're, they're, they're coloured, and the right ones are normally in the right area. So in a kitchen, you'll have something that is more suitable for being in a kitchen. In an electricity heavy area, you'll have you know, the ones that are more suited for electrical fires and, and so on. So I, I think we have much to learn as an industry from some of these problems have been solved uh, or, or, or been addressed in other industries for, for centuries. And uh, we, we often make the mistake of trying to reinvent the wheel time and time again. It's good to hear you mention fire extinguishers, because I think that is just a, such a good example of when you need a fire extinguisher, very often they're really easy to find. Uh, and like you say, like the right one will probably be in the right area. Uh, I think that that's a funny thing when it comes to, to things like, you know, uh, suspicious emails or any other kind of generic issue like that. You know, if I come across a suspicious email in my inbox, I don't necessarily remember what the security policy tells me I'm supposed to do. And I don't also necessarily like taking on the, the guise of a just generic employee. Might not necessarily know where to even find that policy at that time. Or it might seem like a hurdle that I'm not prepared to go over. It's like, oh, I'd have to go digging through folders to find that kind of thing. It just makes it harder. Do you think that's a, a problem for organizations where making, uh, not necessarily getting the message out is the problem, but but helping employees remember what the message was? Yeah, yeah. And so many organizations, and historically, it's been when you join, you, you're introduced to a bunch of departments and security happens to be one of them. And someone comes in with their PowerPoint and they'll go through half hour, 45 minutes, give you some cheap coffee and, and some stale stale croissants to, to enjoy. And you, you won't remember that. And then they'll update that training maybe once once a year. I, I, I remember like I, I used to work for a bank at one point. And literally once a year, they'd roll out the TV on a stand with a video VHS tape and they put it in. And the the, the chairman who who actually introduced the video, he wasn't even the, the chairman of the bank at the time, but they, they just couldn't update it, even though it was a once a year thing. But no, no one really cared. It was just an hour in the meeting room uh, having snacks, really. So I, I think having having reminders on a small reminders, but on an ongoing basis, and through different mediums. So, you know, you have so many ways you can communicate with people and, and remind of them of things. So uh, you don't have to force them to sit through a, an hour presentation. Give them like a third, you know, put a poster up by the coffee area, put something on their screensaver, give them a mouse mat. You know, there's so many things. And again, it comes down to making it something that's simple and intuitive. So having a big red button on your, or, or a big banner, sorry, on your email where it says, this is an external email, be careful, maybe add a couple of more uh, words into there to explain what your policy is or or click on the red button in your toolbar if you think that this is, you know, whatever meets whatever criteria is. You know, things like that can be, can go a, a long way. So I think that the smaller but more frequent reminders is is far better. But we, we really need to sort out our messaging overall, though, as, as an industry or as a, as a department within those organisations, as to what we actually want to tell people. So, how do we do that? How do we how do we clear up the messaging? So, I think the first thing is like a lot of lot of organisations they don't know exactly what they what they want. They and and we try to go in with a big bang approach. So, um, I think one of the things is to really understand what are your key areas. Look through your incident logs for the last two years and figure out okay what what have been the incidents. And what has been the cause of it? Has it actually been the user clicking on a link? Maybe you can fix that through a technology. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe you can improve your spam filter. Maybe you can uh, introduce MFA 
those kinds of things can absolutely reduce the risk. And maybe that brings it within an acceptable risk level. So in, in that case, I think don't harass your users with, with that particular message, but find the behaviors that, that are really critical and only focus on like two. Just, just pick the top two. And phishing is an easy one because everyone talks about phishing, but maybe that's not really the important one. Maybe it's we want everyone to use the VPN when they're working from home, as, as an example, but that's a behavior we want to change. So, so let's find the, the right messaging or the right incentives to, to do that. And if we run it as a marketing campaign, that will be better. And, and again, we, we can learn a lot from the marketing industry because they've been doing this for uh, since the beginning of time, uh, where, where you know you can, you can run a campaign where you have certain activities that repeat every month, then you have quarterly activities that underpin that. So maybe your team leader or your manager repeats that message. Then you have that on posters and then you have it on your mouse mats. And then you, you know, and, and so maybe you have an LMS module that you can then watch and then you can, uh, you know, sign it off for compliance sake that you have understood it and you've and you've completed a test because yeah, compliance is, is that thing that that needs it as well. But you, you can actually really focus your message there. So um, uh, and, and bring because ultimately it's, it's, it's all about we're managing risk. And we want people to make better risk decisions, but you know we also don't want to burden them with with things that are unnecessary. And if we can reduce the risk through other means, let's do that first. Um, so I think it, it's a lot of it's about being laser focused in what our objectives are. It's interesting to hear you talk about the message in terms of what what are you trying to prioritize? Because I know certainly when I engage with companies, the thing that they want us to talk about is phishing. What what can go wrong if a user clicks a link? How would it look if a user received a, a scam email? And, you know, it's interesting to hear you point out things like VPN usage and, and addressing other risks, because I think in my experience, they they very often get missed entirely from, from security awareness or security awareness is overly simplified because they're trying to cram as many things as possible. So maybe they'll talk about phishing, but they'll talk about like, one kind it's like you know if you get an email from your from a social network that says your account has been locked don't click the link and like that's it and maybe some people take away the message that oh all phishing emails look the same or the only risk that they need to worry about is phishing how can organizations make sure that they're getting those priorities right if if maybe somebody's listening into this and thinking hey yeah our security awareness training really only does talk about phishing how can they make sure that they get everything into it that it should have well one thing is like we, we need to change how we view our colleagues in the organizations. A, they're not all just one big mold of uh, the same person because they're, they're all individuals and they're individual departments and there's different risk areas uh, within that. Also, we, we, we need to look at what actually works for people and people will, will be motivated or driven by different things. Um, sometimes we can do things that create champions programs, so involve people, and, and that really gets people excited about stuff and, and, and they, they get on board. It's one of those things where I'd really say look at people as really intelligent, really motivated, and, and really capable. And as uh, Seth Godin, the marketer, he, oh, he, yeah. says, uh, he, he says that if, if I tell you something and you don't get it, that's my problem, not yours. So, so that's my fault. So, so I think before we look at the people, we need to look at ourselves and what we're doing and how we're delivering that message. Because if, if we look at people as being intelligent, we don't need to tell them every single type of phishing email they might receive. We need to give them a basic guidance that there are phishing things out there and we try to stop many of them. 
but some of them might filter through. So now we're on the same level. If they get through, please can you help us out by doing this? If you feel that you've fallen for one, that's not a problem. Help us out by letting us know. And then having that, that positive uh, feedback loop in the background where you're not penalizing people for, for not doing things or missing things, but you're saying, thanks a lot. You've helped us make our job a lot easier. And you know, it, it, you, you build that, that collective thing. And I think people will react to you in the way that you treat them. You mentioned uh, security champions there. So we've had evangelists, advocates, and now we're on to champions. <laughs> what is a security champion and, and how can they help? So a security champion or a, there are different terms used for it. A culture carrier is, is, is a new one that, that I heard the other day. It's uh, basically anyone within the organization who doesn't work in security and security isn't their responsibility, but they enjoy it and they, they understand their responsibility or they're very keen on their responsibility towards it. And they want to help you spread it out or, or they, they adopt those behaviors first. They're, they're like the early adopters. And then through them, you can actually influence their their circle of influence, like their colleagues and, and departments that, that are there. So if you can formalize that process, especially in large global organizations, it's, it's quite a challenge because you have different subcultures within that organization. If you can get people from different regions and different teams uh, and say, hey, you're our eyes and ears on the ground and you know, you recognize them, you 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 know, it's something that goes on their CV. You help build some of their skills at a fundamental level. You don't need to not talking about making people security experts, but they're kind of like your community police officers in a, in a way. Uh, I suppose that that's the, the best analogy I can use. Uh, and and then they will help uh, other people, and and people will be more more open to listen to them and adopt their behaviours than just some faceless person in headquarters saying you must adopt these policies. So that kind of approach can be really really beneficial because you 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 can really influence a lot wider, a lot quicker than if you if you had done otherwise. Uh, we, we, we see this online a lot with um, places like, say, like Reddit, and you have all the moderators of, of there, and they're all volunteers, and they go on there because they, they're really enthusiastic about it, and they don't get paid typically. But, um, you, you know, this this has been going on for a long time. Even even AOL, they used to have communities, and there was, like, more, you know, volunteers who used to help moderate the community and make everything accessible to people. So So it's that kind of approach, I think can be really useful in, in certain organizations. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it feels like it can help in a lot of different ways. Just as you were talking there, I was thinking about how maybe somebody would have a situation that they thought was suspicious for some reason, but they weren't quite sure of it. And they might not want to report to, you know, the global security department, a bunch of people they don't know. But if there was somebody locally to them, that they could just be like, am I being dumb? Or is this like, is this a thing I should action? Yeah. Just getting that, you know, second opinion, I can imagine would, would, uh, would help people a lot engage with security matters. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's it's kind of like that neighborhood watch scheme. You you maybe don't want to phone up the police or, or what have you, but you might phone your neighbor up or, or maybe you've got a, a, a neighborhood WhatsApp group or something like that where you say, oh, I just saw this suspicious car parked up across the road. And, and then someone might say, oh, yeah, that's my cousin visiting from, you know, Birmingham or whatever. And and then everyone's like, OK, that's, that's not a big problem. <laughs> So we uh, we mentioned reporting phishing emails and things like that. You said, you know, making sure that employees know what the process is, whether it's just hit the big red button or whatever. But what can organizations do to minimize those risks? You, you briefly mentioned multi-factor authentication. Mm -hmm. is, there any, is there any silver bullet here? Is it just a case of implement multi-factor authentication and we're done or is it harder than that? 
No, I, I think I'm a big fan of multi-factor authentication just generally as a security control. It's the best thing we have to, to slap onto passwords until we move on to maybe a passwordless uh, authentication mechanism of, of some sort. The criminals, they, they always tend to adapt and they'll use techniques that work in their favour. So, you know, there are lots of attacks which will come in with um, links in them. But then we see a ton of really successful attacks, which are just BEC type fraud, which is uh, it's a plain text email. It'll come in and it'll be like, hey, just shooting the breeze. How you doing? Uh, I, I'm your new account manager from the partner you work with. And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. Nice to meet you. And then the second email will be like, oh, by the way, we've just updated our bank details. Next payment. Can you make sure it goes to this? And someone helpfully says yes. And it, it just goes. Uh, I, I just read uh, today there's there was a trading company and one of the traders they actually stole like two and a half million dollars by sending trade or tra sending an email and signing it off as the the director and that was all they done they didn't spoof the email they didn't do anything they just said oh so and so says it's okay and you know and they sent it and and they were authorized so. Um, these are things that technology can't really protect us against. We need to have like, A, we need to have better processes in place. So, so yeah, so technology will, will minimize the risk of, uh, and I love the NCSC model. Uh, they have like the four step um, layered approach of phishing, which is like minimize the risk of the fish actually reaching the inbox, train your users, have something to contain it, and then have some instant response at, at the end of it. And, I think that's a really solid sort of approach to to take. So I, I don't think technology alone, there's no silver bullet. Like everything, we have these different layers and we, we're t twiddling all the knobs just to bring that risk down into into an acceptable level. You mentioned that um, BEC. What, what is that? Ah, BEC, Business Email Compromise, or also known as CEO fraud or exec fraud. It's where Typically, it's just a plain email. There's no malicious links in there or attachments of sorts, but they claim to be either an executive or a partner, and they'll say, can you make this transaction or this transfer of so-and-so money? Often, it's it's kind of like a targeted attack where they'll spend a bit of time researching you or, or figure out who is the CEO, where are they based, who who's the CFO. If if they can compromise your, your email system in, in, in some way prior, then they'll spend a bit of time maybe looking at how your authorization processes go and they'll mimic it at the right time to to maximize the chances of them being successful. I think that's such an important detail to, to highlight for people who have maybe only thought in passing about phishing. It's like not all phishing emails have a malicious attachment and not all phishing emails have, have links in them. It's like the first one might just be a regular looking email because I think a lot of organizations they lean very heavily on that in terms of security awareness training and things. And you see them trying to teach members of staff to like parse web addresses and check that a domain's legitimate and things like that. And if that's the way you're going, then that's fair enough. That's important. But if your uh, security awareness training only focuses on those things, then you're completely going to get stumped by a, a basic plain English uh, email, right? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And and it happens all, all the time. And, and and the thing is that now we're finding more more and more attacks that don't even come through email. They'll come as a as a calendar invite sometimes. So there's a Zoom link on it or, or, or a Teams link, whatever it looks like, and you'll click on that. And that's the, the malicious thing. So people don't think of calendar invites in the same way they think of emails. And then there's social media, which is increasingly being used to, to deliver these kinds of things. So people will be like, hey, I, I really love your profile and we want to feature you as the top 30 under 30 in security. 
something that I'll never win now, unfortunately. But uh, they'll say that and, you know, whatever. Uh, so LinkedIn and Twitter and uh, e even WhatsApp or, or, or Signal, they're, they're being used to try and deliver some of these kinds of uh, phishing attacks. Again, unless you, you're building up that thought process in people, they're going to fall for it because they're, they're going to be like, oh, this doesn't meet that checklist, that I that very specific checklist that I was told about. So therefore, this must be OK. It's it's interesting to hear the calendar invites one because that wasn't one that I'd come across before, but it, it makes complete sense. And when we do um, phishing engagements as part of things like uh, red teams, uh, red team testing, um, we, we often look for ways that we can engage a, a target staff member that are, that it may be a little bit different. So, you know, a, as you mentioned, things like um, instead of sending them an email, maybe contacting them on social media or something like that and trying, trying to find another way in. One of the things that, that I've always liked to do in those uh, instances is try and make it so that my message to the person doesn't look like it's coming from a human being. So we might do something like... Um, registering the target company's uh, domain but with like uh, system alerts at the end or something like that it's like company system alerts.com whatever and then sending them an email that seems automatically generated so that if there's anything wrong with it they just think oh computers are dumb whatever and they kind of explain it away uh, and also they're not necessarily thinking is a person trying to scam me because they're not necessarily thinking there's a person involved and hearing you mention calendar invites is a great one and I can just I can imagine somebody seeing something like a zoom link or a teams link in a calendar invite and not connecting that to the fact that hey anybody could have typed that right it's like this isn't necessarily coming from those those software products so that's that's a, an interesting one that i think maybe some people haven't come across yeah there was actually an incident that um last year in australia there was a hedge fund and they one of their founders they got a, a they saw a calendar invite and they were like oh i must have forgotten because they get like tons of meetings every day clicked on it and it didn't connect so he assumed that it just well i've missed it or they've changed it whatever he didn't think about it through that they were able to get his email creds and uh, they they observed and then they they used that then to uh, send emails from his account to accounting to say make transactions to a bank that they they controlled so they did end up they sent several million out they, they were able to recover most of it a few days later when when he saw the 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 bank statements as oh we, we don't do business with that bank or, or what have you it, it actually shook the confidence of the investors and one of their largest investors pulled out so the hedge fund actually had to shut down and it's one of those rare examples i've seen that where a company actually went out of business as a direct result of a, a cyber attack and um, you know it's the reputational damage that that caused it more than the financial damage yeah, just just even like the disruption, it, even if maybe they didn't pull out, but it caused delays in the deal. Impacting trust can affect businesses in so many different ways. So we, we've mentioned th this idea of uh, you know, BEC and where um, phishing could be something very simple, like uh, starting a conversation with someone. We've talked about uh, malicious links in, in phishing emails. We've talked about it might not be an email at all. It could be a calendar entry or, or something else. How important is it for organizations to concentrate on all of the different kinds of malicious messages that you might receive? Or is it just a case of like, try and teach the thought process to the employees as opposed to come up with a, a, an example of every possible scenario? Yeah, definitely. We, we, we're trying to build in the, this thought process. And it, it's a bit like children. You can't teach them every single danger that's out there. But you teach them a few of the basic ones. You teach them, okay, strangers, let, let's not talk to them. Let's look both ways, you know, the green cross code and, and, and everything. We need to design systems 
with, with that thought process in mind. Uh, there was a campaign in the 70s uh, by um, some students in Berkeley to add dropped curbs for uh, wheelchair users. And so, so they done it and um, eventually they, they put in dropped curbs for all the wheelchair users. But what they found is it made life a lot easier for everyone who was pushing a push chair, uh, if, if they were a delivery driver on, on a, one of those little push along trolleys, uh, bicycles, all these sorts of things, everyone benefited from, from the dropped curb. And, and so if you, if you design things with, with that in mind, you, you'll get a lot of uh, unintended benefits that are not foreseen. Adding subtitles to TV not only helped hearing impaired, but if you're in a bar, it's noisy, or you're in a in the airport lounge or whatever, you can just look up and you can see what's being said, the news and what have you. So you can benefit so many people in so many different ways by by building in for, for everyone for being more inclusive in your design. And I think that that's one of the challenges we have. We're not very inclusive in how a lot of these technologies are designed. But I think if if we can train and teach and influence people in that way. We, we can get to a far better place than, than otherwise we'll be forever adding lists of like, oh, and look out for this type of attack and look out for this type of attack, because that's just a, a never ending uh, errand, which I mean, as a vendor, it's fantastic because it means money will come in for it. But that's not our end game, really. <laughs> well, my... Yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny whenever I've engaged companies previously with for things like security awareness content, where many companies think that it's like a one size fits all thing and if we have follow up questions around you know hey what kind of data do you store how how do you process personal data where does it go do you have a vpn that staff use do you have password managers are staff able to use password managers so that the um content that we deliver is is accurate you know if we are we going to push uh password managers and then your organization has a policy that prevents them in somewhere always surprises me how many companies are surprised that we would have those questions that no no surely you just have a powerpoint and that's it security awareness training in 30 slides or whatever no that's right that's right and and, and i think you know when you start looking at it it it's on one side it's it, it is a big challenge because we, we've ended up in this world where we are highly dependent on these technologies and they're not ideal from a security perspective but we we, we also need to recognize that it, it's a long game and even small changes can make a really big impact if thought out well and, and implemented correctly. And, and like you said, if if you have things like just hey, if it's this type of data, don't ever email it. Let's use this this tool. It's a it's a secure database or in, in some ways or, you know, if, if if you need to report something, then here's a big red button on your on your on your toolbar to do that. Or sometimes it's just about how you position and place security. So, so I've heard this example about Maserati, Rolls-Royce and Ferrari. I don't know which company it actually belongs to, but one of these companies, they, they actually stopped taking their cars to car shows to sell them there because compared to your £50,000 car, their £250,000 car was just seemed too expensive. So they ended up displaying that them at yacht shows and aircraft shows. So someone who's just been looking at a £5 million private jet they're going to walk out and say 250 grand for the latest Rolls Royce is a bargain. So sometimes it's about how we frame things and and how we position things. And uh, maybe always coming from a technological perspective doesn't always click. So while our controls can be technological, we don't need to wrap the user into that technology process. We can approach them from you know a more human perspective or more business perspective. So you know in their mind, 
we can create that that value chain. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you mention teaching employees about the use of tools as well. It reminded me of something that happened on a penetration test a little while ago, where we gained access to uh, an employee's email, and we saw something that I think many companies do, and maybe people don't talk enough about how dumb this is, but where they'll send an encrypted file in one email, and then the password for the encrypted file in the second email. The reason this particular instance came up, though, in the context of security awareness training was that this exchange that I saw in this test, they'd actually included a note that said, oh, don't worry, I checked. Uh, legal says this is GDPR compliant. <laughs> yeah, sometimes not only you have to explain like risks like phishing to people, but it's like, what should they be doing? So, you know, you mentioned it earlier, don't just give the list of don'ts, but it's important to say, what should you be doing? Be that using a spe specific tool or be that following a certain process? Yeah, it, it reminds me, I saw this little cartoon on, on I think it was on Twitter the, uh, or, or someone sent it to me. It was like, oh, because of GDPR, uh, doctor surgeries aren't allowed to call you by name when they come into the thing. So so instead, they've got a receptionist coming out and say, would the person with the itchy bum please see the doctor in room number three? <laughs> oh, gosh. Which, which is by all intents... Uh, GDPR compliant, but far more embarrassing for the person. They're probably like, just call me by my name. That I, I consent to being to everyone knowing my name rather than the actual condition that I've come here to see them yeah. for. And and I think that that that's an example of like what what you just explained. That process is the same thought process. I think that goes that goes in there. Yeah, and and also just because something is allowed doesn't mean it's the best method. You know, just mm -hmm. because it's approved. Um, yeah, God, that's that's funny. So. I guess we've we've touched on as we've gone throughout, how should companies look at getting this information out there? So we, we've talked about, you know, security awareness training in terms of like presentations and conversations with staff. Uh, and you also mentioned, you know, getting messaging on, on mouse mats and, and all of that kind of thing. But what are the options that companies have to make sure that they're, they're keeping those messages up to date? They're making sure that people remember them, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think there's probably three components that we, we can break it down to. The first component is all the technology controls that we can put in place to either shield the user from needing to know stuff or it's tools that they can use to or and in that processes to easily report something, whether it's something they're unsure of or whether they've they've seen a stranger in the office. How, is there a panic button on the on the wall somewhere? to say that this person is, it shouldn't be, whatever they might, that might be. So, so we need those tools that are protective of users and usable by users. The second part, which is quite key, is the, the content and the messaging. So, so in that, you need to figure out what behaviours you want to change. I think that's what the focus should be on, that what behaviours do we really want to change within our, our workforce, because that is the worst thing. So, so in driving, yeah, maybe some someone speeding a bit is speeding is bad but someone within the limit but intoxicated is worse so so let's focus on the drink driving as opposed to the speeding even though we'll address that but we'll address that later once we've got this under control and so we, we need to f figure out what 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 behaviors we want to change and then find the the appropriate messaging behind it and and i think a lot of that has to be repeatable and uh, regular and and small in, in small doses and in in an engaging manner. People aren't going to, you know, listen to... I mean, one thing I, I speak to, to people about sometimes jokingly is what if you wrote your security policy as a comic book? You know, would more people read it? Maybe, maybe not. 
but you know it might appeal to a certain demographic you know so, so th th there are different techniques and and styles out there a, a cheap plug for 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 no before uh, they they invested in heavily in some live and uh, live action series um so there's there's a show called the inside man which is available to customers and it's like five six minute episodes and it's like a drama uh, you can actually watch the first season. It's on Amazon Prime. So if you go to Amazon Prime and you look for The Inside Man, uh, it, it's there. Uh, uh, and I'm only saying that because I've got like a five second cameo in that as well. So <laughs> it's it's funny, though, you, you say, um, you know, that that content might be, you know, uh, more beneficial to certain demographics. Um, certain people might find that, you know, more enjoyable. I think one of the things, like certainly hearing you mention comic books is just like, oh, I would just remember that more. It's like, like, I'm not massively into comic books, but in comparison to reading a policy document, I'm going to remember the comic book more, more easily. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's right. I mean, it, it's just it's just how you how you present it. So, so I think having those repeatable messages and, and uh, short form. So don't ask for more than five minutes of people's time uh, at any one point in time. You know, if they can sit on the toilet and they can watch a five minute video, that's a win or, or, or during the commute. And then the third part, I think, is just to integrate this into your uh, your security response capabilities. Uh, so, so it's an integrate. So if someone does report something, you, it goes to the right person in, in the SOC or it doesn't just sit in a queue somewhere as noise. It is actually taken there and someone can quickly respond within a, you know, a reasonable time frame and, and go back to the user, either push the email back to the user or say, well, you, you caught this, well done. Now let's have an investigative process to figure out if this is a targeted attack, if there's other in the organization have been attacked and, and try to try to withdraw that. And, and, and that that is, I think, a, a key part of, of the incident response plan. If someone's attacked 10 of your employees and only one of them's reported it, you should then have the capability or the ability to go and investigate everyone to make sure that otherwise the, the value in that one person reporting it is, is diminished. So, so we need to make it as, uh, and that's where I think some people use a term like the, the human sensor or or what have you, uh, co co really comes into play. Yeah, and it could also be um, an opportunity to go to speak to those other staff members and talk to them about why didn't they report it. I give you an example from our company where, of course, we receive phishing emails. I'm pretty sure every company out there receives phishing emails. And uh, one particular phishing email that we received was actually pretending to be me. And uh, they'd obviously gathered some information from LinkedIn and targeted some employees. This is nothing special to us, right? It happens all the time. And um, one of the things that I was interested in after hearing about this particular campaign was how did people respond to it? So, you know, initially, what was it that um, tipped those people off? And then what did they do next? You know, who reported it following the process that we have? Who quietly thought this is clearly a scam because it was written too formally and I don't do formal emails. That's how some people detected it. But, you know, if those people have just realized, hey, this is this is a phishing email then and done nothing about it, we've, we've missed an opportunity there. Or if somebody had fallen for it and, and continued that process and clicked the link or whatever it was in that instance, and then we didn't have any reports of that, we wouldn't be able to perform that incident response. So that's something that I always think is is important. It's like, hey, when one person reports to it, you should speak to the other people and find out why why they didn't. Did they miss it? Did they think they didn't have to report it? Did they try to but get the process wrong? You know, what, what went wrong there? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and I think a lot of it, it's about the human behavior and it's more psychological in nature than it is technical. Maybe they're afraid of it, but also there's this thing in humans that the fear of the, the negative outweighs the, the, the desire of the positive, typically. You know, people will, will, will rather avoid embarrassment of potentially, you know, if, of, of potentially being wrong than gain the reward of being right. One great example that I think it, it showcases how you know, you shouldn't be afraid of, of getting it wrong is, is uh, and it's not security related, but it's it's that of uh, Tilly Smith, who uh, who was the, the little British schoolgirl who was 10 years old, I think, at the time when she was in uh, in uh, Thailand. And she saw the, the sea go back and she recognised it as a sign of a tsunami and no one had actually known that it's a tsunami. But she made a big fuss about it. And so her, her dad eventually caved in and he he went and told the lifeguards and everything. And they were like, well, we've never heard of this. But but they they actually cleared the beach. They got 100 beachgoers uh, into the top floors of, of a hotel. And uh, there was no deaths on that beach as a result. That's uh, that's crazy. Interesting to hear you point out uh, a couple of things, actually, as we've been talking here. You mentioned um, the, the fear of the negative. You also mentioned something else earlier when we were talking about um, selling cars at yacht shows. Um, I think it's it's maybe worth pointing out to people that, you know, learning a little bit about, about bias is probably a good thing if you're looking at handling things like social engineering attacks. So when you mentioned, you know, selling cars at yacht shows because of the price difference, that's called anchoring. So anchoring is the idea of you set one price and you negotiate from there will have a different impact. Um, and then the the idea of this fear of the negative could be, you know, a, a different way of putting loss aversion, which is that idea that you would rather, um, you would feel worse if you lost £10 than if you found £10. You know, we, we, we fear the negative, as, as you put it. Um, yeah, I think maybe that's uh, some homework for the audience would be go read a little bit about bias and how people think. Maybe something like uh, a book that I read. Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, that book talks a lot about uh, unconscious bias and how, you know, you don't realize how easily you can be manipulated, not not only um, intentionally as part of social engineering, but just based on like what's happened that day and, and the context of, of the day. So that that's uh, pretty interesting. Um, and I think you're uh, putting words in your mouth here, but, but you were talking earlier about um, marketing and how marketeers are maybe some of the best people at getting the, the messages out there. So maybe maybe some homework there as well would be pick, pick a good marketing book if you want to get good at security awareness training. Yeah, Daniel Kahneman's book, uh, mm -hmm. Thinking Fast and Slow, is, is fantastic. And uh, if people don't have time to read the book, then I believe he's done a TED talk as well, or, or there's another short talk. Invest those 20 minutes into into listening to, to his talk there. I'll try and uh, I'll try and find it and I'll add it to the show notes for people who want to who want to listen to that. Awesome. I think we have done everything that I had on my list to cover for security awareness training as a as a problem space. Is there anything that you think we've missed? Is there any area of uh, phishing or security awareness or anything that we've been talking about that, that you wanted to bring out? Yeah, the, the only thing I'd add is sometimes the terminology we use is very off putting. And it's great for us to use as security professionals with each other. But it, it means very little to other people. So sometimes it's not what you're saying, but it's how you're saying it. That is why it's ineffective. And an example I, I read recently, and I thought it was a, it was a horribly devious example, but they, they said that uh, a student loan has certain connotation, brings, brings certain things to your mind. It makes people think that they're in debt, uh, which they are, I suppose. But he goes, what if you reframed it, instead of called it a student loan, call it a wealth tax, that it's a tax that um, uh, that you would only have to pay if you're earning over 50k a year 
and you only have to pay 2% on it. That's just to cover the cost of you going to university for free. All of us, it doesn't seem like such a bad thing. It's like, well, I don't, I, well, because as a student, you're thinking, well, 50 grand a year yeah. job. I'll, I'll be happy to pay 2% extra tax on that if, if I can get it uh, versus like student loan. Oh my God, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to be 50 grand in debt. That's got a very negative connotation to it. So, so, so sometimes we use terms that are quite militant in, in nature. Like we talk about red team exercises yeah. and blue teams and, and all this thing, which is absolutely fine within the industry, but we don't need to necessarily expose the, the users to that to that terminology. So sometimes I think it's just about understanding the language and how powerful our words can be when we communicate is uh, is important. I can give you a good example of that, one that um, I do habitually and have to remember my audience, the term threat actor. So I use the term threat actor when I mean any possible person who might want to do something bad. So everything from bored teenagers in a basement to cyber criminals to nation state actors. Because if I say cyber criminal, well, that doesn't necessarily include the other groups. I say threat actor generically. But if I'm talking to somebody uh, who's maybe non-technical or certainly somebody outside of cybersecurity and I say threat actor, the immediate follow-up question is, you keep using that word. What does that word mean? Um, so yeah, I think that's, you know, pointing out the use of uh, uh, military terminology and military slang is definitely one. But even just like the technically accurate word, sometimes we, we don't need to, to always draw that line so hard and, and maybe accessibility is more important in that context. Yeah, definitely. Javad, thank you very much for, for that conversation. That was that was awesome. Where can people find out more about, about yourself or the work that you do? Oh, they can, uh, well, I've got a website. It's uh, javadmalik.com or you can follow me on Twitter where I'm often there posting uh, pointless memes. It's uh, at <laughs> J4VV4D. So the A's are, are the number four. Um, or, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I happily connect with anyone and everyone. And uh, But just don't say, as soon as we connect, don't send me a, a, a offer of courses and saying, you do, do you want to do your CISSP or an A plus or a CCMP? Just just a calendar link with a with a malicious uh, attachment, is that it? Yeah, that, that's, that's fine. I click on everything and anything. <laughs> Jared, thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, no, thank you so much. Thank you.